You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Aaron is here. Hope everyone had a Merry Christmas. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. We did a Christmas Eve show. If you missed it, and I think a lot of people did, and and one of the things, and I was just talking to Aaron before the show started, it is probably the lowest number of of listens we've had on a show since the very first show, I think. And it makes sense. People are out of their routine on Christmas Eve. But just remember, next year, no Christmas Eve show. If we're still doing this podcast next year, no, no Christmas Eve show. We don't need to do a Christmas Eve show unless, of course, the Redskins are in some big you know, division race and playoff type of season. Hey, when, when Josh Johnson it. has this team at 10 and five at this time, uh, next we might want to do it. Good point. That's a good point. Uh, so anyway, if you, if you missed it, actually, uh, Michael Phillips from the Richmond times dispatch was on the show. I like Michael a lot. He does a great job covering the team. And we went through about 10, 11, 12 different, you know, key figures in the organization, uh, executives, executives, coaches, players, and talked about their fates. Uh, he had written about that, and we went through it one by one. I will say this, we did not have the DJ Swearinger news. We recorded before he was released on Monday. Um, that news broke on 106.7 The Fan, uh, Grant and, uh, and Danny's show. Um, he's a, a scheduled weekly guest, I believe, right, Aaron? Yes. And he came on and he broke the news to Grant and Danny that there was that he had been released by Jay Gruden. Um, and they did a long interview with him. I did not listen to the interview. I've read all of the excerpts from the interview. Um, amazingly, he got picked up by Arizona uh, as an aside. Uh, DJ Swearinger did. Amazingly, some of you crush the team for, for cutting him. A ton of ex-players criticized the team a little bit for releasing him. Clinton Portis was one of those people. He's going to join us in about 20 minutes, maybe 15, 20 minutes he'll join us. Um, I heard Clinton uh, a little bit on the, uh, God, I was about to say the other station. It's not the other station anymore <laughs> for me. Um, but I heard Clinton a little bit um, and read some of his excerpts. Santana uh, Moss, I think, was upset about it. But many of you, many of you on social media, at least those that follow me on social media, reached out and blamed the team and talked about DJ's honesty and how he was just trying to help and that he was right to call everyone out. And the coaches are losers for not listening to him. I, I got a lot of that, a lot of that, that cutting somebody with his talent, I mean, what were they doing? How stupid is the organization? Jay Gruden, Bruce Allen, Dan Snyder. That was the reaction from many of you. <clears throat> not everybody. I got plenty of responses indicating the opposite. I suggested that he should be suspended. Um, I didn't think that they would go to the lengths that they did. More on that coming up. Um, but that was the reaction of of, of many of you. Um, you know, DJ Swearinger uh, was the bad was the good guy in all of this. That 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 was shocking to me, shocking. Um, but I think you know it's all part and parcel to what this organization has been, and and just the fact that they're always going to be wrong no matter what uh, the situation is. You know, DJ Swearinger can be right about what he said. 
you know, Gruden's practices are too easy. Gruden's too laid back. Minuski doesn't know what he's doing. You know, the results speak for themselves over these Gruden years. Not good enough, not tough enough, not disciplined enough, not smart enough, not prepared enough. The list goes on and on. All of the things that DJ Swearinger said can be true and are probably true, but it can also be true that the team did the right thing in cutting DJ Swearinger. It doesn't have to be one or the other. If that's the way you see it, it's got to be one or the other. That's fine. It's not the way I see it. You know, I think everyone knows that I have lost total faith that the current group of executives and coaches um, are, you know, essentially incapable, in my view, of building a winner. With the current owner, it's likely that it'll, it'll never happen. But with the group he has working for him right now, the chances of a sustained three, four, five-year run of playoffs and championship aspirations and, and capability, I don't see it with this group. I mean, that's hardly a revelation, I, I know. But if you keep losing and failing and losing and failing with less than impressive people, which is what they're doing, that's going to be the reaction to anything they do. Big picture, that's where the organization is right now. That's where it is right now. Losing, failing, no winning in sight, and a group of unimpressive people tasked with trying to turn it around. And that's why fewer and fewer are caring. That's why the stadium is half-filled. The audience on television is half of what it used to be. And why people just don't care anymore. Why they're doing other things on Sundays or watching other games. They're not even angry anymore. They just don't care. And that's the state of the organization. So understand this as many of us debate the DJ Swearinger situation. They haven't won with him and probably weren't going to win with him, and they didn't win before he got here, and they're probably not going to win now that he's gone. With that understood, I've got a couple of quick thoughts specific to this Swearinger situation because, again, you know, amazingly uh, or, or surprisingly to me, many of you really came down hard on the organization for this. First of all, the organization that has never held anyone accountable for anything held DJ Swearinger accountable for not following simple instructions. Simple instructions. I've talked to people on this particular subject that would know, and according to them, Jay Gruden asked him no less than two times before cutting him to keep his personal criticism of teammates, coaches, and fans. Remember, he criticized the fans. Jay asked him to keep those things to himself, or if he was going to share it, share it only within the confines of that building with teammates, coaches, or other people in the building. He was told, do not make your feelings about others in this organization public. And he didn't listen. He couldn't help himself after the Tennessee game going off on defensive coordinator Greg Minuski and blaming him, saying that Minuski, in essence, was responsible for the loss. Jay Gruden could have done nothing about it, and I'm sure in the past he's been, you know, he's been the parent who threatens over and over again until it becomes hollow for the kids. That's happened in the past, so there was a chance he would do nothing, that the organization would do nothing. But this guy Swearinger, this guy was the one who just pushed him too much push the organization too much, so so much so that it would have lost total respect the organization would have with 
the few adults that they do have in the locker room. Jay and this organization did something they rarely do. They held someone accountable. This wasn't a one warning thing. This was multiple warnings to this guy to keep his mouth shut when it came to the media. And he couldn't. In that interview, he blamed the team for allowing him to talk in that interview on JFK. I'm talking about in that interview on Christmas Eve with Grant and Danny. Um, he basically blamed the, the, the team for allowing him to talk. Like they should have known I couldn't keep my mouth shut. So why did they let me talk to the media? But anyway, this move was new for the team. I doubt very much that it will become the norm. But this one got to the point where Jay would have looked so foolish to too many of his own players that he had to act. And remember this, Jay really liked Swearinger when they signed him. Remember how he raved about DJ Swearinger being a leader, being a great player, understanding what's going on. And Swearinger was a good player here. You know, he wasn't Ed Reed. Let's not make him out to be Ed Reed because he's not. He's, a, he's been a good player. Far from a great player. Pro Bowl alternate this year. Pro Bowl alternate this year. But Swearinger's constant criticism of coaches and teammates, it had worn out its welcome, like it had everywhere else. And that leads me to this point. Many of you who were angry about Swearinger getting cut sent me his statistics to show why he thought, uh, to, to show why you thought the team was dumb for doing this. His stats, all of the numbers. Well, how about these numbers? His fifth team in six years now is Arizona, who just signed him. Now, it's twice with Arizona, but a different coaching staff. But at some point, don't those numbers matter? Aren't those numbers the reddest of the red flags? DJ Swearinger lost his coach and probably lost several of his teammates long before Saturday's game against the Titans, just like he had done in other places. Houston drafted him and released him two years into his rookie deal, and he was a starter. He's been a good player. Again, not a great player. When you're not great, wearing out the patience of your coaches and teammates will catch up to you, as it has already for him before Washington four times in six short seasons. Those are the numbers that matter too. Those numbers matter. And if you don't think they do, then you're complicit in this organization's dysfunction. That's an exaggeration. Uh, Next point. The Redskins, this is also reflective of something else that I want to get into. So just bear with me. The Redskins need a new team president, a new football operation, because agents who represent good players that don't have red flags attached to them, prefer other teams for their clients. Remember this, Bruce Allen was voted in a poll of 25 NFL agents as the least trusted team executive in the entire NFL. As long as he's here, DJ Swearinger is the best they're going to get. The talented player that good franchises don't want because he lacks self-control and he's disruptive to your locker room. Let's not forget that this organization can't attract the talented players anymore without something being wrong with that talented player. Personally, mentally, a defect in their game. Look at the few talented free agents they have signed in recent years. And I don't even, I don't want, want, want to go overboard with the talent piece, but 
Paul Richardson, injury prone. Zach Brown, can't cover. Terrell Pryor, I mean, where do we start? Terrence Knighton, uh, pot roast. You know who showed up in 2016 and said no thank you? Chris Long. His agent actually scheduled a meeting with the Redskins. And you know why Chris Long said no? Because this organization can't attract the Chris Longs anymore. I don't even want to get into the free agents they've had to settle for because better players won't even consider Washington anymore because Washington doesn't pay the way they used to pay, which I actually think has been a good thing. But the years of paying 20% above retail are long gone. So you don't even have that advantage. So now a player is comparing side-by-side, money-to-money, equal money-to-equal money, and they're saying no. So you end up with the players that have a flaw or two because the good organizations don't want them. You know, the good organizations are saying, yeah, DJ Swearinger is a hell of a player. He's a hell of a talent. But we can't do that in our locker room. Redskins had to settle for him. They had to settle for Terrell Pryor. This is going to be the problem as long as Bruce Allen is here. It's Swearinger today, Sue next year. All right? The guy that is a talent and is a free agent, but other teams are passing on, uh, Redskins have to settle for him. This is a problem highlighted by this Swearinger thing. Just think about it from that perspective. They, they, Chris Long ain't coming here. The best coaches aren't coming here. This place is toxic. No one wants to come here if they are quality. Quality players, quality people. It just doesn't, it's not the place. They'll settle for it if there's nothing else out there. But if there's nothing else out there, isn't that also a red flag? And by the way, just as an aside, Eric Schaefer, this isn't about you. I'm not talking about you. Don't take it personally. You've done your best. It's appreciated. But we can't get we can't get good players here without a flaw or two that steers the good franchises away. Um, next thing I wanted to say about this. Uh, a lot of you think that this is an indication because Jay was allowed to cut him that Jay's coming back. I wouldn't necessarily just... that wouldn't be my default to this. I didn't think about it from that perspective on Christmas Eve when the news came down. A lot of you did, and a lot of you tweeted me and said, isn't this a strong indication that Jay's back? I guess others in the media felt that way too. I wouldn't feel that way necessarily. I mean, wait till Dan Snyder is in his box on Sunday. On a rainy, cold Sunday afternoon against the Eagles, and he looks out and he sees all green, but it's only filling up half the stadium. And he's had a few pops in his box, and he's got his so-called friends sitting nearby. He could be seething on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Nothing at this point, in my mind's eye, is etched in stone. Nothing. And just because Jay Gruden was allowed to cut him, I think Jay Gruden felt like, I got to be able to do this, Because I can't look John Allen and Deron Payne and some of these guys who played for Saban who know better, I can't even look them in the eye anymore. This guy's become so disruptive and has been so insubordinate that I can't continue. I've asked this guy two or three times, do not air this laundry publicly. If you think Greg Minuski sucks, tell me and Greg Minuski. 
Do not go to the media. But he kept doing it. Uh, lastly on this, who's going to play safety next year? <laughs> I mean, who's going to be – who's their safety next year? Who? Uh, give me one that you know is going to start. I like Somebody pointed this out. And whoever pointed it out, I'm sorry for not giving you specific credit credit because I don't have my Twitter up right now, so I can't find it. But somebody said, you know, DeShazer Everett can play safety. You know what? He can play safety. He's every time he's in the game, and I don't think he played a lot of snaps. Every time he's in the game, I always seem to think that he does something good. Like he is energetic. He flies around. He tackles. Anyway. Uh, that's it on that. Um, let me tell you about Window Nation. Harley, Aaron, Eric, uh, they all listen to this podcast, and I appreciate that. Um, they have been supportive of me on radio and now on this podcast, and I ask that if you are considering new windows, give them a chance. For starters, there's no risk to calling up Window Nation at 866-90-NATION and asking for a an in-home free estimate. They'll send somebody out. If you tell them that I told you to call, they're going to send somebody out to your home. It's a free estimate, and you can just see what it's going to cost. But I promise you that you won't go wrong. I've had Window Nation uh, windows installed twice over the last decade. Right now, they're offering their Window Nation triple zero sale. Zero down payment, zero payments, and zero interest until 2020. That's not all. Window Nation's triple zero sale is a triple deal. You'll also get $200 off every window, any size, any style. And with a whole house of windows, if you order a whole house full of windows, they're going to pay your heating bill until the new windows are installed. You'll save hundreds, even thousands of dollars right now. And who knows how much more with energy savings and higher home value for years to come. Window Nation windows give the greatest gift, an inviting, warm, cozy, comfortable home. So visit windownation.com today for the triple zero sale. Zero down payment, zero payments, and zero interest for 12 months and $200 off each window, no minimum purchase required. Window Nation will pay your heating bill until the new windows are installed. That's a great deal too. Save today, save tomorrow, save forever. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or shop windownation.com and tell them I told you to call. All right, let's bring in Clinton Portis. Uh, we'll talk uh, some skins, Swearinger, maybe some other NFL with him. Merry Christmas to you a day late. How was your holiday? Merry Christmas. It was great. How was yours? It was uh, it was not bad. A lot of family in town. I'm glad it's over. Um, and I'm glad, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you, it's sometimes you got so much family there, it's better to get back to work after about 24 or 48 hours. Um, so I'm happy. That's always, that's always the case. You look forward to seeing them after that initial, hello, how you been? <laughs> and what's up, buddy? It's over. <laughs> and then you're happy to see them go. Um, all right, I listened. I didn't listen to the entire interview that you did on 106.7 on Monday, but I got enough of it to hear that you didn't like the organization cutting DJ Swearinger. Is that true? And if so, why? Well, I don't. I don't make the decisions what the organization do. The organization has to do what's best for the organization. As a fan, I made the decision to say you don't lose one of your better players uh, just to a conversation about a coach. I think that player was telling the truth about how he felt. And if you can't express yourself, like this is a tough man's sport. You know, you can't get sensitive all of a sudden in a situation where 
one of your better players come out and, and have a comment. You know, you address it to him. Then all of a sudden you find out, well, they've had three conversations and uh, however it went with Jay, I mean, that's Jay's choice. Just as a fan of the team, uh, when you look and you say, well, we finally got someone, we finally got a piece of the puzzle that can fit, you know, you think DJ Swearinger is a guy full of effort. It's football. You're going to miss tackles. You're going to make, make mistakes. But uh, at the same time, you're looking for effort. You're looking for hustle. You're looking for you're looking for someone to come in and give you an opportunity to win games week in, week out. And I think DJ Swearinger led on the field. Now, as a coach, Jay sees much more of DJ than I do. He watches much more film. He's around DJ. Whatever that description was, I feel like it's more than just, oh, well, this is his third time criticizing someone on the team. Well, but look, you – so you're reacting as a fan and also a former player to this team, but if you were the coach and you had sat down with him multiple times and said, hey, you can feel the way you feel, and if you want to be constructive about it, be constructive here within the confines of this building, but do not go public with your thoughts about coaching staff, players, or even the fans. Remember, he criticized the fans, too, earlier in the year, because it's not going to be tolerated anymore. At some point, there has to be a consequence for that, right? Because he couldn't help himself. He, he was told not to do it, but he did it. Well, I don't think he wasn't the only one that, that criticized the fans. No, he wasn't. He wasn't the only one that criticized the fans, and he was backing up a teammate of his. So um, anytime he's going to war, and it's constantly about teammates. As he say, I'm for the players. Often, if you listen to DJ Swearinger's comments, it's I'm for the players, I'm speaking for the players. Now, as a former player, when someone say I'm speaking for the players, it's something you've heard in the locker room that guys aren't happy with that you feel like I can address and bring it to the coaches. A lot of guys on teams are afraid to go and address coaches or take take an issue they have to anyone because you're worried. I think DJ Swearinger, who felt safe enough to say, you know what, I'm going to speak up. This is something we don't like. A lot of guys are complaining, so let me address this. Let me take it to the coaches. And it just didn't work because all of a sudden it ended up getting him released. I know, but he didn't take it just to the coaches. He consistently took it public. That's the problem. Like, there's a distinction here. If he's just taking it to the coaches over and over again, that's one thing. But he was told, don't go public again, and he kept doing it. So the next thing is, you and I both know a lot of people um, are were uptight over the last few weeks. Now, you go out and you win a big game. You even go into Tennessee. I think the team showed a lot of fight for Jay. I think the players was playing for him. They knew everything that was on the line. They showed fight for Jay. You know, this decision, I just feel, is more than, than we know. Because as a, as a leader, last year, DJ Swearinger came in as a vocal leader. The Redskins didn't have any kind of vocal leader, any kind of uh, uh, playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. And you bring D.J. Swearinger in, the fan base fall in love with this guy's effort, his heart, his comments, his commitment to football. A year later, this is an issue. So you're telling me last year it was the same D.J. Swearinger calling out, hey, look, we got to do this, we got to do that. A year later is it's enough. 
it's too much. You're you're not a couple of weeks ago when DJ Swanger made the comment, I've been told not to say anything. So I'm not gonna say anything, right? So right. when you take a player and you muzzle a player and that's his best ability, that's what he brings to the table, it's hard. What are you going to do? As a player, he brings this to the table and you say, well, this same passion that I play with has been taken away from me. Now what does he do? Yeah, but Clinton, here's the thing. There's a track record of other teams becoming impatient with him as well. He didn't yeah, make he it. Knew that he made before it. you signed. I understand that. And you, that and that's, you knew that before you signed. So that leads me to this, and I just talked about this. The problem with the organization right now is it is at a point where you can't get the really good players without a flaw or two, whether the flaw is a personal flaw, a mental flaw, a, a, a talent flaw, whatever it is. You know, you're, you're, the, the good players that are spotless, that, can ha- that want winning organizations and winning environments, don't want to come here. They don't want to come here. And until you change that at the top, you're, you're going to have players that are really talented that are going to pick other places. And you're going to end up with the Swearingers who are talented, no doubt. And I think he's a good player. He's not Ed Reed, by the way. Let's not make him out to yeah, be Sean. No one is, no one is Ed Reed. No one is yeah, Ed well, Ed but, but a lot of people but, a lot of people here over the last couple of days are acting like we just let Ed Reed or Sean Taylor go. I mean, we didn't. And they, they didn't win with him, and they're probably not going to win without him. But it gets to the bigger picture, and I want your thoughts on this, that if Bruce Allen continues to stay on as the team president, he was voted as the least trusted executive by a poll of 25 NFL agents uh, last spring, then the, the good players, the quality players that are also quality and non-disruptive aren't coming here. Do you agree or disagree? Listen. For Bruce and Bruce being in the situation that he's in, I don't think Bruce cares what anyone thinks. Bruce is going to go out and do what Bruce does. With that being said, who do you find that's a squeaky clean player? As a as a, as an organization, I don't want all squeaky clean players. I I don't I, I agree with you right. on that. So so that's first. This organization gets into a situation that always explodes when the negativity comes through this organization then it's this organization is so big, we're so afraid of this negativity that we have to shy away from it. If you look at New England organization, they take on you look at the Josh Gordon fallout. Yeah, but we're not right? New England. If Josh if Josh Gordon was anywhere else, that story will be on every magazine, every tabloid, everything that you can possibly find. They mentioned, hey, you know what, Josh Gordon is going to get help and it was over with. Anyone else signs Josh Gordon and that experiment fails, it's the worst decision anyone could have made because it was the New England Patriots. Hey, this organization handles things different. We took we took an attempt, a shot at a guy that didn't work out. We wish him the best. We've tried everything, and everyone is okay with that. If that was the Washington Redskins, the Washington Redskins are in a position that for players, for good players, for, for players with the potential to be great, for players – looking for an opportunity, is a great stop, a great destination. But you look at any other faces of this organization right now, whether you look at Alex Smith, you look at Adrian Peterson, you look at um, 
Trent Williams, you go to the defensive side, you look at Jonathan Allen Payne, these young guys that's coming up. Those guys are good players, potentially great players. You look at Trent Williams and AP, um, potentially great players, but they're they're all quiet guys. They're not confrontational. They're not going out making headlines by speech. They come in, they go to work, they're hard-nosed, blue-collar guys. They're going to do what you ask and try to lead in the best way possible. Look, That's who they are. Look, if, if I had one compliment for the organization over the last couple of days, it's that they did finally back up you know, a, a threat. They they made somebody accountable for this thing. I want to move on. I mean, I, it, you th- made the wrong person. Why? Why is the Why is the wrong person? You didn't You didn't win anything with him. You didn't win anything without him. That's He's right. Not, you got You got twenty two players on the field. You got at least ten players is way, making way more money than DJ Swearingen. Impact on the game is what we're discussing. Who has an impact on the game? Now, you put the right players around him. You put guys around that can adapt to his attitude, attitude or feed off of it, then it's totally different. And, and what I know well, clearly they didn't think they were – They Clearly they didn't think they were feeding off it, right? Because at some point, Jay Gruden's threats were going to become hollow, and that was potentially going to impact other – people in the locker room that would look at him and say, yeah, you, you're not going to follow up on, on a threat. I mean, at some point, so, Clinton, there's got to be some discipline and accountability so in, in, a, can, in a franchise. Yes can, or no? Out, I talk to you. I see you every week. We have a discussion. All of a sudden, in week 16, you're saying, this is how I'm going to save my team. This is my accountability. This is how I'm going to prove I'm holding people accountable. In week 16, well, so do you? So do you think? Look, the whole thing reeks. All right, I, I'm nothing about any of this stuff makes me feel comfortable that things are going to change. But if you're suggesting that they should have done it earlier, I, I don't have a problem with that. And that that it came well, too late, I don't have a problem with that. I don't necessarily disagree with you on that. Listen, if, if three weeks ago when everyone was on the hot seat. Or two weeks ago when everyone was on the hot seat, there were no changes made. Everything was, we're going to finish out this season with what we got, with what we have. Let's wait one more week to move on from DJ Swearing. If you're going to lose a guy, let's wait one more week. I, that, you know like, what? That... This is the only organization. Like This is New Year's Eve. And... You put, a, you put this guy or this guy puts himself in a situation and Jay is forced to make a move. But if Jay waits one more week, then this looks totally different. One more week, you got to start doing some, some, some cleaning house and you look over your roster, say, you know what, we're going to move on from DJ Swinger. We're going to move on from him. I think the writing had been on the wall. This chatter has been going on that DJ Swinger, it was time to move on from him. It didn't just start. So let me. But you bring in another. You bring in another safety in Haha Clendix, who was having a great year in Green Bay. But Green Bay released him, gave him an opportunity to go catch on somewhere else and see if he liked it. Has that experiment worked? It has not. So I, I want to be clear on this because ultimately, you know what? This is just one. I don't know if this is necessarily reflective of anything significant, the timing of it or whatever. But you would have been fine. Had the organization just waited for the season to end against Philadelphia on Sunday and then said we're moving on from DJ Swearinger in the offseason? Uh, you know what? I would have. 
you're going to move on from a lot of guys in the offseason. There's going to be a lot of change within that uh, locker room. Every year it is, regardless of win, lose, or draw, guys move on through free agency, through through being released, through the organization, want younger guys, whatever it is, every year they move on. So you knew everyone wasn't coming back. Let me ask you a big-picture question because let's move on from Swearinger. If you could could change one thing about this organization right now to help it be have more of a chance to win in the future, what would what would that change be? What would you do? Well, for me, you look at you look at organizations that that has attempted this experiment and hit the bottom. The Redskins never hit bottom. Okay, that, that's that's the one thing. You'll never see it's always middle of the pack uh, for the Redskins. Well, it's, it's not always right. middle of the pack. It's not always. They, we've had some bad seasons here. We've had we've had a three and thirteen and a four and twelve in the last six years. Yeah, but that that still wasn't rock bottom. You didn't go into rebuilding mode. You didn't begin trading off your assets or getting rid of guys or. Let, you know what? Let's go out and get all of these young guys and build with them. Let's have a plan in place for the next three years that we're going to go out and get a bunch of young guys and try to get these guys to be the guys that we want. So, You've never had that situation. As as long as I've been a part of this organization and I've seen a lot, then I've never seen the Redskins say, you know what, this is rebuilding gear. Every year it's we just changed these couple pieces of the puzzle and hopefully it's it. Whether you're moving on from RG3 to Kirk Cousins to Alex Smith, it's oh here it is we got it now. Do you know Do you know why? And I want I want to I want you to continue with your your answer here. But the reason for that, in my view, is that it's bad business to basically say we're rebooting, we're starting over, we're building for the future. This organization is always in the off season over promised and under delivered, and you can't over promise if you basically trade off and reboot and start building from scratch, like Cleveland has done, as an example, over the last couple of years. It's been bad business to do so, but I would suggest this, that right now it might not matter that it's bad business because there are fewer people coming to games and fewer people watching games than ever before. This is a new rock-bottom Clinton in terms of consumer interest. In terms of the interest in this team, the television ratings reflect it, the, the attendance uh, numbers reflect it. Now, if you're suggesting, suggesting that the one thing to do would be to start over and try to build this thing from scratch, I don't think it would be bad business for them. I don't, I don't think it would hurt them this time. Well, as, as you said, when you look at the stadium, when you look at a lot of the situation that's going on, you're losing fans regardless of the promises you make. You're losing the attention span, in do, not just based on the Redskins. That's throughout the NFL. But the Redskins, that's been a prideful organization, has been an organization where fans are just so dedicated, win, lose, or draw, they show up, they spend their money. All of a sudden, all the promises and everything else, you have an organization, and the issue is not even the players. When you hear people call in, they're not saying release any players. The issue is within management or the coaching staff that all the people that complain about it or the owner. Oh, Dan Snyder should tell the team. 
Well, let's get this right. Dan Snyder is not going to sell the team. He's going to be the Redskins owner. The name is not going to change. So that's something you can move on from. But because that's the number one issue with so many people, the name change or or, or the owner, that's not going to happen. Your biggest issues with this team will never change. It's not going to change with Mr. Snyder, and it's not going to change with the name. And we both know that. Well, I'm, I'm for it not changing from a name perspective. But back to what you said, that they've never started from scratch. They've never done a reboot or a rebuild. Is that the number one thing you would decide to do right now with the organization? Well, if you're going to start a, a reboot or a rebuild, then I'm, I'm sure you're not going to have the patience. Or Jay is not at, at, at the time to say, well, okay, give me a promise for four more years and let me get this thing together. So how do you start a reboot starting from the top? You, you know, so tell me. The, I don't know what to tell you. How many <laughs> draft picks do we have? What assets do you have to trade to go and get more draft picks? Right. Like who? what cap space are you going to create? Like you're hindered by situations that's out of your control. Alex Smith's situation. If Alex Smith comes back to football or if he doesn't come back to football, you're on the hook for his for his contract. And that's the major contract. So even for Jay, when Jay look at the situation, it's hard. He's hindered because you have a guy that's injured. Unfortunately, you have a quarterback that's injured. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we're uh, to me, we're burying the lead here. I, 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 I'm with you in that I think, and this is what I've advocated here for the last month and a half, a, a total reboot. New team president, general manager, new coaching staff, go young, trade off the assets that you have that can bring something back of significance in terms of draft choices. Uh, because you know potentially the the Ryan Kerrigans of the world, as an example, may not be around or may be past his prime by the time you're ready to win. But he's he's worth something now that you could bring back and and use in in the draft. I mean, when when we're talking about total reboot, we're not just talking about players, in my view, because the management has already proven to me that it can't build uh, build a sustainable winner. It can't build a, even a limited winner. We can't even have a limited winner with this group. So uh, let me give you an example. You just said the Cleveland Browns. You look at the New York Giants, right? You look at the New York Giants who began trading off assets, the quarterback, everyone wanted out. The, the wide receiver was questionable as the face of the organization. And quietly they go out and they draft Saquon Barkley. They bring in some more talent, B.J. Hill, through their draft. And all of a sudden, a team that was at rock bottom at the beginning of the season, at the end of the season, is still fighting, is still in games. They're giving you every opportunity, and every fan in New York is looking forward to next year. They're looking forward to say, you know what, if Eli comes back and we can add a lineman, if we can add this, then we have everything else we need. You go out and you get rid of your best D tackle. You trade him. You go, you go out and you get rid of one of your early draft picks and cornerback and Eli Apple, and you trade him. And you get assets, and everyone else take notice and say, you know what, this team is trying to do something. So everyone in the New York Giants fan base 
is looking forward to it. But re- but remember something for their better players. But remember this too: they got rid of their general manager and hired a new general manager in Dave Gettleman. They got rid of their head coach and hired a new coaching staff, hiring Pat Shermer. It may or may not work, but their reboot included more than just players. It included front so, office and coaching staff. So you're saying that 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 that's not in my pay budget. That's not hey. Listen to the things. You're saying that. You've been around. You're a Redskins historian. You've been around this town forever to know what it's going to take. You don't need me to validate. Oh, well, get rid of this person. Get rid of that person. You can listen to the outside world. You can listen to the calls that's coming in. I just, uh, look, here's here's the bottom line, big picture. And by the way, I do care about what you think, or I wouldn't have you on here because you know I actually value your opinion, and I think that you have very good instincts when it comes to some of this, and not just as it relates to this team, but you follow the league. You know, you follow college football a lot more than some of uh, the former players do. But I, I would just say this. There is a culture right now that doesn't, Um, that doesn't result in a chance for sustained success. And you may never have that with the current owner. You may never have that unless there's an epiphany from the the owner that says, right now I'm presiding over one of the worst organizations in professional sports. I've got to find the right people to turn this around. And I'm, I'm just saying that I don't think that the current front office uh, structure and coaching staff that we got a really good that that we've got a shot of a sustained winner with this group. I, that's just my feeling, based on a lot of things. Um, you're 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 going through a wind tunnel right now. You are you are you driving or are you walking? No, is it better now? Yeah, it's better, much better now. Let, let's talk about the the rest of the league real quickly. Two, two minutes on the rest of the league. Who do you like right now? Who do you think like all of a sudden the AFC and the NFC? to me, have become more wide open. Do you agree with that? And then give me the teams you think can win the Super Bowl. I totally agree with it. And, and when you look at it, the football that we were playing in the beginning of the season has become the football that uh, you see teams winning with. When you look at the Baltimore Ravens or you look at the Chicago Bears, those are the teams that's winning with the formula that we won with in the beginning of the season. That's running the ball and playing great defense. Now, all of a sudden, these teams, you look at the Rams and the vulnerability without Todd Gurley. You know, they signed C.J. Anderson, who go on to have a big week. But when ever since you lost, uh, what was their receiver name? Um, who? Cup? Cooper Cup. Ever oh, yeah, Cooper Cup. Cooper yep. Cup. That's been a different team when it comes to explosiveness. The Saints. You know, you look at the Saints going back to the Dallas Cowboys game, and the Saints have been a different offensive team. You know, although they look great against the Steelers, uh, finding Michael Thomas, getting Alvin Kamara and Ian involved, it seems like their offensive explosion, which no one can figure out how to stop Drew Brees, all of a sudden has been been calmed down. Uh, So for me, you look at the teams with great defenses, it's putting a lot of pressure. And it's Chicago and Baltimore. And, and uh, Baltimore being the San Diego Chargers showed a lot because San Diego was getting a lot of buzz. The Chargers were, were playing great, and they were getting, uh, Ingram, uh, getting their running back back. And all of a sudden, Chicago going, going and beat them. And now you look at the powers, you know, the New England Patriots who don't look the same. Uh, you look at Tom Brady or you look at that, that defense, that's probably the worst defense that Bill Belichick has had. Um, 
in, in that offense, not having Grunk, not having a go-to guy uh, or a receiver that just scored when, when Tom Brady decides, you know, now all of a sudden if you look at Brady, it's up and down the field and uh, creating turnovers. You know, you look at some of the games he had, Buffalo, uh, the turnovers created. So you never can count out the New England Patriots, but at the same time, it could be a shift. You would have thought the Pittsburgh Steelers had a great opportunity, and now they're on the outside looking in. Houston Texans lose Demarius Thomas, who's a, a mid-season addition, uh, and then their offense has been stalled. No Demarius Thomas, Lamar Tom, uh, Miller, all of a sudden, he's banged up. So their defense, you know, you got to score points as well. So although they have a good defense, offensively, their game plan has changed. Now it's just on Hopkins. To carry that team, I I think that um, in the in the first of all, you hit the two teams that I've talked a lot about. If Baltimore gets in, they got to beat Cleveland on on Sunday at home to get in. But if they get in, to me, they can go anywhere and win with that defense. Like we, it's been proven before in the postseason when you have that good of a defense, when it is an overwhelmingly you know dominant defense, and it's been helped by an uh, an offense that's dominating time of possession as a running football team with Jackson. But to me, they can win the whole thing. I think Houston is in that category, and I know you just said without Demarius Thomas, but they've got stars on both sides of the ball, and and Watson is a star, um, and Hopkins is a star, and Clowney and Watt, you know, and McKinney and all of them on defense, and then I think the Chargers can win it. I don't think the Patriots or Chiefs can, and they're going to be the top two seeds. You know, you know who I actually. Um, have some excitement about, and it's crazy. Over the last couple of weeks, you watch the Eagles playing with uh, without wins, and it's a different team. And all of a sudden, that defense, uh, you know, the secondary. I actually thought that would be a landing spot for DJ Swanger, but uh, all of a sudden, they still have that that seven, uh, that front seven, which is a tough front seven. Although they've had thirty five different DBs, that front seven has stayed the same. Offensively, they're scoring points now uh, with Wentz being hurt. So it just goes to wonder if Aguilar and uh, Jeffries, and, and then you got one of the better tight ends in the game, when you could move the ball, you got Sproles back, who's one of the yeah. biggest problems with all the injuries the Eagles have had. If they can get into the playoffs, then all of a sudden it changes because they're coming off the Super Bowl and they struggled the entire year, and they're just not coming together at the end of the season and can possibly win with foes. Like, any, I've seen stranger things happen, so you got to keep an eye out for the Eagles as well. Yeah, but they, that means that Minnesota's got to lose on Sunday, and we've been talking about defenses, and Minnesota's defense over the last month has been dominant, D- a dominant defense. Um, and guess who else defense has been dominant? The Chicago Bears. I know, Bears. I know. And That's they got... the opponent of Minnesota. Yep. And Chicago is playing for something. Chicago, this is one of those games where Chicago is like, oh, I could go forward because they're playing for a, a buy in the first round as well. Yeah, I mean, they're playing for a buy as well. It's one of those games that's going to be weird because it starts at the same time that the Rams-49ers game starts. The Rams have to lose and the Bears have to win for the Bears to get the two seed. So it could be one of those things where if the Rams are up 21-3 to at halftime, you know, the Bears may look at that and they may decide who knows it, you know, what to do in the second half. It's one of those 
strange days where you've got teams playing. Now, the, the NFL's done it right in recent years where they schedule those games for the same time so that there's no competitive advantage or disadvantage by playing at a different time. But, um, yeah, I, I I hear you. Chicago's got something to play for going into that game potentially, and so they're gonna they're gonna give it all all they have. But I, I just was pointing out that Minnesota defensively, ever since Griffin came back, ever since Everson Griffin came back, they've been a really good defensive team, and maybe as good as the Bears are defensively. Uh, I totally agree. When you look at, at Minnesota, even firing their offensive coordinator, saying, "You know what? This is not going to work. We're going to get back to running the ball." That was where we had success. All of a sudden, Dalvin Cook the last couple of weeks uh, has had an impact on the game. You're taking some pressure off of uh, you're taking pressure off of your quarterback position, and then they have a great tight end. You know, when, when you look at them in that receiving core, uh, that receiving core, Thielen, uh, those guys are pretty good. So Thielen and Diggs. Uh, along with Cook, that's a tough combination for people to stop. And, and all of a sudden, firing your offensive coordinator three weeks ago gives you an opportunity to stay alive, get into the playoffs. And again, just like the Eagles, that's the team with the experience to say they were in the NFC Championship game last year. So who knows what they're capable of doing. All right, real quickly before I let you run, um, do you see Bama Clemson in the final? Yeah, but a lot of guys getting suspended from both of those teams. So uh, I don't see I don't see Clemson and Bama in in this situation. When you look at uh, those guys that just got suspended uh, for the bowl game, special for Clemson, I, I seen their best player Wilkerson. Um, but just you, tested, yeah. But you know what? For, the li- the line has gone up. It's twelve and a half now. Oh Jesus! You sound like you're in an airport. No, I was standing out. That was a, a truck pass. Oh, okay. So when you when you look at at Clemson uh, losing a couple players, I mean losing losing one of their better uh, defensive players, Alabama not knowing how Tua is going to be. I actually like Oklahoma against Alabama, man. Really? For some reason, Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray in that offense against Alabama, just I mean it's a challenge, and I think their coach does such a great job. Uh, game planning where you're going to have that's a different speed. You know, you look at those, I mean, Oklahoma receivers, those guys are downfield 40 yards wide open catching bombs the same way uh, uh, Tua throwing for Alabama. So I think it's going to be a challenge. And we both know Oklahoma defense is horrible, so it's going to be a shootout. I mean, the over-under on Alabama punts is one. Uh, I, I could agree. Yeah, I, I mean, could. I, agree. I mean, they're, yeah. I, I don't. I don't see how Oklahoma stops them unless they're like a bunch of, of penalties. You know, they they knock them into first and twenty or or second and twenty five. I mean, that's the only chance they they have. I mean, to me, Bama is going to score 50, 56 plus in this game. I mean, maybe Oklahoma can score forty, but. I, I don't know. I, I still like Clemson take the, and Bama. Take the over, Shane. Take the over. It's 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 seventy seven right now. All right. Um, hey, happy New Year to you, and uh, I'll see you Thursday night. Actually, uh, and and talk to you then. Thanks so much for doing this. No problem, bro. Have a good. 
Real quickly on Farish, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Fairfax. It should be on your list if you're considering something new. And right now, between now and the end of the year, is the time to act. I talked to Ralph Perkins last week. Um, Ralph said they have the best rebates they've had all year long. Their lot is full. They're cutting deals left and right to move all of their inventory off their lot so that they can get in new shipments of new vehicles on January 1. Specifically, great deals right now on the Jeep Cherokee, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, and the Jeep Wrangler. Same goes for the Ram pickup, and I mentioned this uh, often uh, before. They have a Subaru dealership, and they've got a used car lot. So if you're considering a new Subaru or something used, um, you're going to get a great deal on those as well. They're located right there in Fairfax Circle. Ask for Ralph when you get there. Tell him that I sent you. He'll put you in touch with their best salesperson. You can also find out everything that Farish has in stock right now, including live inventory and pricing at FarishCars.com. Let's finish up with some NFL buy and sell. Are you buying or are you selling? NFL buy or sell. All right, uh, I jumped the gun there uh, a little bit. All right, a couple of things first um, that aren't necessarily NFL buy and sell, uh, conventional NFL buy and sell uh, items for for this particular segment. The the Redskins on Sunday um, against the Eagles are in position with a loss to gain ground, significant ground potentially, in draft order. Uh, I, I never was the guy that would advocate losing intentionally um last year was the first year uh that i was like what's the point of beating arizona and denver really um and i would say that again about their game on sunday i would not be playing a lot of starters that could get injured and you know what they don't have a lot of starters left so i understand that and they're a significant underdog anyway to the eagles who have to win the game but the redskins at seven and eight right now would be um would hold the number 16 pick in the first round The teams in front of them, the Dolphins, Packers, Bengals, Broncos, and Falcons, and Panthers immediately in front of them, all within a game. Some of those teams are likely going to lose this week, but the Panthers play the Saints. The Saints have nothing to play for. Um, The the Falcons play the Bucks. Now, the Broncos are probably going to lose. They play the Chargers. The Chargers need to win that game. Cincinnati plays Pittsburgh. they got to win that game. The Steelers do. Um, The Packers, though, have a a winnable game uh, here in the season finale against Detroit. Miami does against Buffalo. If the Redskins win this game, they're they're not gaining any ground, and they could lose ground. They could lose, you know, at least a spot by winning the game. By losing the game, they could gain potentially as many as six spots. I haven't looked at the strength of schedule stuff, but let's just say that worst case, they could move up three or four spots. That could be the difference in the upcoming draft between having a chance at Drew Locke, the quarterback out of Missouri, or Justin Herbert, the quarterback out of Oregon, if you want to go quarterback, or if you want to go great defensive player, you know, three or four spots in that portion of the draft could be the difference between having a chance at Montez Sweat. If you haven't seen him at Mississippi State, a dominant edge pass rusher. Devin White, a dominant inside linebacker from LSU. These are the guys that are all going to be in that, you know, 8 to 17 range. So... On the quarterback front in particular, if the Redskins are going to draft a quarterback in the upcoming draft and they think that Drew Locke, Locke's the guy that I like out of all of them. I like him more than Greer. I think I like him more than Herbert. 
He's a big dude. He looks the NFL part. Quarterback out of Missouri. Um, anyway, uh, you know, this isn't a momentum-building game for this organization. You know, they're not on a, you know, four out of final six run to try to get to seven and nine and say, hey, we, we really built something at the end of 2018. This is a team that's playing with a lot of players right now who won't even be on the roster next year. Um, now, how do you stop those players from playing hard like they have for the last two weeks? You can't. You can't. I understand that. They're playing for jobs. Josh Johnson's playing for a job. So I get it. Um, it just... so you Controlling that is a lot easier to say than to do. I just, as a fan of the team, would like to see them lose the game and get the best possible draft position they can get. Uh, there's, there's really going to be... This is going to be a good draft, not necessarily on paper at quarterback, but the quarterbacks that will be there, if you're going to have a choice, you better be at number 12 rather than 16 or 17. All right, uh, let's do some conventional NFL buy or sell. And I love the conversation with Clinton. Clinton is um, a lot of the former players that I know and have worked with at various times are really, really sharp on the Redskins. Clinton follows football. He's a massive sports fan. I mean, he can he can talk NBA, college basketball with you just as much as he can talk about anything in the NFL. He follows these other teams. He watches games, lots of them, college games, lots of them. Um, I agree with him, and I've said this before. I just think that what we went from we went from the fifty four fifty one Monday night game, which was what the week before Thanksgiving or two weeks before Thanksgiving into now all of a sudden great defense is being played. And I said that week, I said, there are some really good defensive teams this year. It's not always the case. You know, we've had some years here recently where you don't, you haven't had really good defensive teams, maybe one, maybe two. This year you have several good defensive teams. It just happens to be ironic that it comes in a year in which offense has exploded. But down the stretch here, the Bears, the Vikings, the Cowboys in the NFC, Seattle, these are good defensive teams. Minnesota and Chicago in particular, and I would throw Dallas into this category, very good to great defensive teams. In the AFC, Baltimore may be the best defensive team we have seen in several years. I felt that way about their team at the end of last year. And the irony about their defensive team, they don't have big stars. You know, Marlon Humphrey, to me, is a star in the making. Obviously, Terrell Suggs is a Hall of Famer. Eric Weddle's a great player. I think Mosley's a really good player. And they've got some interior players that you haven't even heard of that are really good. But, man, they seem to be coached up well. They're always coached up well. Baltimore can win the Super Bowl. Houston can win the Super Bowl. The Chargers, even though they're going to have to play three games on the road, more likely than not, can win the Super Bowl. Although their chances of winning the Super Bowl after losing to Baltimore last Saturday night are diminished. It is still hard, no matter how good of a team you are, to go on the road and win three straight games. And for them, I mean, if you look at the AFC playoff picture, it's probably for the Chargers, they would have to start by winning a game in Baltimore, assuming the Ravens beat the Browns. And this is a tough game for Baltimore. Really tough game. Cleveland's playing well. And they want to win. They, they want to knock 
Baltimore out. So if the Ravens get in, the Chargers have to go to Baltimore and, and win in a game, in a rematch of a game where they didn't have a chance if you watch that game start to finish. That was as much of a defensive beatdown of a really good offensive team that you'll see. Dallas against New Orleans was another one of those. That, and Chicago against the Rams was another one of those in recent weeks. Um, but the Chargers would have to go to Baltimore and win in a 5-4 game, then likely go to Arrowhead and win again where they did win recently, and then potentially go on the road and have to win in Foxborough or in Houston to get to the Super Bowl. I, I want it for Phillip Rivers more than anything else. I, I really do. That is, right now, the number one thing I'm rooting for in the postseason is Phillip Rivers to lead the Chargers to the Super Bowl. The number two thing I will be rooting for is for Minnesota to do well and for Kirk Cousins to play well in the postseason. Uh, but anyway, I'm buying the defensive teams in the NFL, even though most of them will have to play road games. Look, New Orleans is a pretty good defensive team. They've, they've turned into this. So excluding them, the Rams, for whatever reason with their talent, haven't been a great defensive team. They are more likely than not going to be the two seed. Kansas City and New England are going to be the top two seeds in the AFC more likely than not, and they don't have great defenses. So I'm picking teams with great defenses that will more likely than not have to win one to two road games to get to the Super Bowl, and I think it's going to happen this year. Selling this week? What am I selling this week? I sold Indianapolis last week. Remember? I said, I, I don't see them making the playoffs. I don't see this run. I mean, even though they had impressive wins over the Texans and the Cowboys, I, I still didn't see them as, as a team that was going to make the playoffs. I'm going to sell them one more time. <laughs> they could have lost to the Giants. Is Mariota in or out for Sunday night's game? Do we know? I think it's still questionable. If Mariota plays, I think Tennessee is going to win the game Sunday night. I think Tennessee will win that game Sunday night and advance to the postseason. And if Indy were to win, I do not give them much of a chance at Houston, which would be the 3-6 game more likely than not in the wild card weekend. The, the wild card weekend right now looks as follows. It looks like Indy or Tennessee at Houston, all right, in a 6-3 game, and then Chargers at Ravens if the Ravens beat the Browns. That, that would be the AFC first weekend with New England and Kansas City uh, Kansas City is the one seed and New England is the two seed, assuming that Kansas City wins uh, this weekend against the Raiders. Chalk in that Houston game for that Saturday afternoon slot. I was just you know what? I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll make a guess on that. Uh, Tennessee at Houston or Indy at Houston, Saturday afternoon, 4.30. Saturday night will be Minnesota at Chicago, all right? I think Minnesota's going to win Sunday. Um they're the hungry team, the desperate team. They've been playing better of late. Now, to be fair, the teams that they have stumbled against offensively this year with a bad offensive line and quarterback inconsistency, right? see how I threw that in there, um, have been really good defensive teams. You know, the, the stretch where everybody was so critical of them at Chicago, at New England, at Seattle – Try that on for almost any team in the league and see if they come out of that looking real good. Uh, they early in the year, p people when I said to, 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 to uh, when I talked about that in recent weeks about their schedule, people said, "Well, what about Buffalo? Buffalo was a bad loss. 
Definitely. But Buffalo is a really good defensive football team and had, and they have been uh, all year long. They just have such bad offense. But I think Minnesota is going to win the game Saturday, uh, Sunday at Chicago. And I think that'll be the Saturday night game. All right. Minnesota at Chicago. That would be a tough spot Saturday night in, uh, in Soldier Field in January. The Sunday 1 o'clock game, and they don't have to go in order anymore in terms of a- AFC, NFC, will be Chargers at Ravens. Mm-hmm. And then the late game will be Seattle-Dallas. Yeah, Fox, Sounds right. Fox is going to want that 425 uh, late Sunday game uh, wildcard weekend to be Dallas. Because that's going to be the highest rated game of the weekend, whether it's Seattle at Dallas. I think it could also potentially be Minnesota at Dallas. I don't think it can be Philadelphia at Dallas, right? I think if Philadelphia makes it, they're at Chicago or at Los Angeles if the Rams falter this weekend. That's my guess on the first weekend of the playoffs. Uh, Indy or Tennessee at Houston. And I think it's going to be Tennessee if Mariota plays. Saturday night, uh, Minnesota at Chicago. Sunday early, uh, Chargers at Ravens. And then Sunday late, Seattle at Dallas. Sounds like a good good wild card weekend. Yeah, that, that, look, I like Houston, and I like watching Houston play, but that would be the least desirable of the four games. Right. Um, all right, uh, real quickly, if you if you live in Bethesda or Upper Northwest or just over the bridge, American Legion Bridge in Northern Virginia, um, and you're looking for office space, like easy shared office space, quiet, can get your work done if you're someone that works from home, check out Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. They have private office solutions that are totally affordable where you can get work done, beautiful new space, fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, a cafe, uh, free parking, which is huge, 24-7 access to the building. Get more work done today by moving your office to launch workplaces. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial. Call 240-800-6714 or visit launchworkplaces.com today. That's 240-800-6714 or launchworkplaces.com. I didn't talk any NBA from yesterday because I didn't watch any of the NBA yesterday. Uh, My boys did. Um, and they were watching that Warriors-Lakers game. I watched a movie that I hadn't seen last night. Beirut, did you see it? I have With not John seen Hamm. it yet. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, but the uh, I didn't really watch any of the NBA. My one son who's really into – actually, two of my three boys are massively into the NBA. But they, they mentioned to me that LeBron got hurt a little bit last night in the Lakers' route of the Warriors. And then he said, Dad, your guy played so well, Rondo. Rondo's back from injury, and last night in 23 minutes, Rondo had 15 points, 10 assists, no turnovers in 23 minutes off the bench. This is why at the beginning of the year I said it would be interesting. I I always thought that the Lakers would be a playoff team with LeBron, and I think it'll be very interesting to watch two of the highest IQ players in the game today play together in the postseason, and that would be Rondo and LeBron together. All right, one last thing before we run. Uh, A smell test pick for today. We're going to do some bowl game smell test picks throughout the week. Uh, All these bowl games going on, Aaron, every day. They get watched. They get bet heavily. Um, So there is a ton of public action on one particular game today. You've got three games today uh, in total. You've got uh, up first at 1.30, you've got the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl, which is in... 
The Cotton Bowl. It's in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Then you got the Quick Lane Bowl. I know that one's in Detroit. That's Minnesota and Georgia Tech. And then the Cheez-It Bowl. I love Cheez-Its. They're great. Uh, that one's in Arizona tonight. And that one features TCU and Cal. And look, I've got my TCU oh, you know, sweatshirt on. I think I know on. who you're backing in that game. Uh, yeah, so I've got a smell test pick for today. And it's actually the first game. Boise is a short two-point favorite over Boston College. Boise got very hot at the end of the year. Uh, and, um, you know, before their championship game against Fresno, they, they won, it was five or six in a row going into that championship game. Actually, it was seven in a row, my fault. Uh, I just pulled it up. And I had them against Utah State, remembering that crazy ending um, in late November against Utah State. They lost in the championship game to, to Fresno. Um, Boise's a short two-point favorite against a BC team that lost their final three games of the regular season. Uh, they lost to Florida State in a one-point crazy game. They got blown out by Syracuse. Uh, I think I've been on the wrong side of BC a couple of times this year, but I'm going to try them one more time as a two-point dog. I think they're very well coached. Publix on Boise. And there is some sharp money on BC as well. This line opened in the 3-3.5 three, three range, and now it is down to 2. So give me Boston College plus 2 today in the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl in Dallas. That's about one, I think there are like three different bowl games in Dallas and then and Fort Worth and of course they've got a semifinal game there as well. Uh, Dallas really is one of the college football capitals of the world in terms of interest. Uh, so there you go. BC today uh, plus the two against Boise. Tommy will be with me tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure he will have a comment or two or seven about DJ Swearinger and the Redskins. Aaron produced the show today. Thanks to him. Have a great day.